Hey everyone, and welcome to the Church at Denver podcast. It's really good to have you here with us. Church at Denver is a body of believers in the heart of Denver, North Carolina, that desires to see what God can do when his church falls in love with the gospel. Our mission is to know Christ and to make Christ known through Christ-centered teaching, Christ-exalting worship, Christ-saturated community, and Christ-commanded multiplication. Today's podcast episode comes from our Sunday morning worship gathering. Our prayer is that this message strengthens your faith and helps you to live more fully into the way of Jesus. To learn more, get connected, or check out upcoming events, you can visit us at our website at churchatdenver.org, or you can click the link in the episode's description. Thanks again for listening. All right, let's get back to the podcast. Here we're seeing and we're coming into Exodus 15. And this is going to be a time where God's going to lead the people of Israel into a very uncomfortable and very hard place. And this is going to happen right after they just spent time worshiping. They they were worshiping the Lord, singing the song of Moses, a song that praises God, a song that will be sang in the end. As we saw last week, the angels of the Lord singing the song of Moses and praising God. A song that exalts the Lord. These people had just been removed and walked through the Red Sea. They had seen God put ten plagues upon the area of Egypt. Seeing God's mighty hand. Seeing him exalt himself before the people. In hopes that they would be drawn to him in worship and know his name. And in all of this we see them worshiping. But now God is going to do something that only God would do which was to examine the hearts of the people to see where they are to help them to know where they're going. So we're going to pick it up in Exodus 15, and I want to start in verse 22. So here's the word of the Lord. It says, Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, They could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter, and therefore it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So here we see the people being led out, but notice what it says here. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, guided by the Lord to this place. They weren't wandering away from God. They they weren't being rebellious in this point in time. They were going where the Lord was leading them. And on this journey for three days, they had no water. Now you have to imagine the spirit of the people. The people are coming out. God, I saw you do incredible things. I just walked by the waters of the Red Sea on my left and on my right, passing through dry ground. I saw you destroy my enemies as you pulled the waters back by blowing them through. Now I'm coming in and now you can't even provide me water? And here we see the people coming into this season, coming into a moment of distress, three days not having any water to drink. And when they finally get to Mara, when they finally come to this place, the water that is present is undrinkable. And they're frustrated and they're angry. And they ask of Moses, what shall we drink? And I think about our own life. Even today, right, when you think about coming together, we come and we worship and we we want to celebrate and sing praises to the Lord. But we'll leave here and immediately our expectations will not be met by God. 
When I think about what God is going to do in my life, through my life, and for the areas of my life where I hope he moves and works, I'm going to experience disappointment. I'm going to experience pain. I'm going to experience sorrow. I'm going to experience loss. I'm going to experience broken relationships. And God's going to walk me through those points in my life. Even here, as they were led to this place, And they were led to a point in their life where they were coming into this place trying to discover, okay, now where is my main provision? Where is just water coming from? They're not asking for abundance. They're asking for necessity. They're asking for the very thing to give them life. And it's absent in this point in time. You have to imagine the frustration. If you think about your Christian life, And I see this so many times with so many individuals who when they give their life to Christ, they think that the victory has been won and it has in the forgiveness of sins and the promise of eternal life. But they think, well, I've given my life to the Lord. So now every day is supposed to be beautiful and wonderful and easy, right? Well, God, I've surrendered my life to you. God, I'm living for you. God, I'm in your word. God, I'm praying. God, I'm sharing the gospel. Why is she still sick? Why am I still struggling financially? God, why have you not answered prayers in my life? God, I am expecting something from you and it's not coming. I'm bitter. I'm frustrated. I'm angry at you. God, I know that you do extraordinary things, but for some reason you're choosing not to do them in my life right now. Have you ever been there? When you think about the grumbling, church, this is not what's going to happen in about 30 minutes. He's not talking about the grumbling as your stomach begins to roar right now. You're hungry. You're angry. You want some lunch. You're not sure where you're going to go. You might fight with your spouse over what restaurant you choose or if you go home to save a little bit of money. Never had that happen in my house, but... This isn't what's happening. This grumbling is something greater. This grumbling is really a question of God. It's coming to God. God, are you really going to provide for me? Are you really going to work in the ways that I've seen you work in all of these glorious ways, but are you really going to be able to meet my very needs? But in asking the question and coming. In reading this, it brought me back to the story in Ruth of Naomi. And I don't know if you remember this story, but in Ruth... There was a woman named Naomi, and she was married to a husband, and she had two sons. And they were living in Bethlehem, but then a famine came. And when the famine came, they had to move, and they had to leave to go find a place where they could find food, where they could find ability to continue to survive. And in that place, her two sons found women that they chose to marry. But throughout the course of time and 10 years of being together, Naomi lost her husband, And her two sons. And she was left with her two daughters-in-law. And in left being left with them and being in this time of famine still, even as they moved on, they were there. It was a time that she felt the need to go back because she had heard that she could find nourishment. She could find food back at home. And she encouraged her daughters not to come. But there was one who said that was not going to happen. And that was Ruth. And Ruth said, I'm where you go, I go. And the God that you worship, I will worship too. And Ruth followed Naomi back to Bethlehem. But when she returned back into her family and when she saw everybody that was there and they were glad to see her, but her response was this. She says, do not call me Mara, or Naomi. Call me Mara 
For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Her life had become bitter due to the circumstances in her life and she felt rejected by the Lord. Church, we all can identify with Naomi. We've all experienced loss. We've all experienced brokenness. We've all experienced disappointment in our life. We've all experienced bitterness. But what I want us to really unpack today is the idea and understanding of what does it truly mean to be bittersweet. Because that's really what life presents to us in a lot of ways. You know, and I remember when I was in high school growing up, there was a song by Big Head Todd called Bittersweet. And I love that song. But when you think about bittersweet and you think about what that represents, it's understanding there are certain foods, whether it be like coffee or dark chocolate or heaven forbid if you're dangerous enough to eat grapefruit, which is truly the nastiest thing on the planet. But you taste something and it tastes sweet, but then it becomes bitter. And sometimes that's just what life is. Like I, I learned in, in studying bittersweet and there, there was a plant that's termed bittersweet. It's a plant that blooms in June and it has these, this orange fruit on it that's a size of a pea. Birds love it, but it's poisonous to us. But yet long ago when it would bloom, the Native Americans would use it. And they would give it to people in order for them to vomit in an effort to be able to get rid of toxins that were in their body. It was also used for medicinal things uh, for the people to help them, even with certain treating certain symptoms of tuberculosis. A very bitter plant that could cause harm, but yet in a way it could provide healing. And we think about a bittersweet life that we experience. And this is what God's bringing them to in this season. They've come to this place of water, having expectations of God that are not being met in this moment. Very frustrated, and they come to Moses and say, what shall we drink? And then we see Moses in verse 25. And it says, and he cried to the Lord, this is Moses. And the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water. And the water became sweet. So here we see the people coming to Moses and Moses really modeling for us what does it mean in our life and how do we respond when we experience times of struggle or disappointment and bitterness. What is the first thing that Moses does? He turns to God. But he doesn't turn to God in an an accusatory, in a frustrated way. He comes to God knowing that God is the one that can meet him where he is and bring about transformation transformation in their circumstance he didn't come to complain but he came to seek wisdom and direction and in this moment God tells him it gives him exactly what he needed to do he said I want you to go and I want you to grab this log and I want you to throw it into the water and it's going to make it sweet now we read this with hindsight it worked But imagine Moses standing there and he's standing beside the water. All of the people are grumbling and they're frustrated and they're angry. The water's undrinkable. And God's answer to the problem is to say, hey, pick up that stick and throw in the water. I got you. Right? And Moses is like, okay, all these people are watching me right now. You want me to pick up a stick and throw in the water. That's your solution. And what does Moses do? He obeys. Something that had to be just nonsense. Doing something that could probably subject him to looking foolish in front of everyone. What if it didn't work? 
God, you, I know, God, you told me to do this. But what if it doesn't work? Think about how many of you are paralyzed. God's commanded you in what you should do, but you're not doing it because you're not sure it's going to work. And you see Moses here being obedient, coming in, throwing the stick into the water. And what happens? It becomes sweet. Now for Moses, in throwing the log into the water, Moses had no power here. He had no ability to affect change in the water. All he could do was do what God told him to do and that God would handle the rest. Moses didn't have power within him to grab that stick and to bring, it, bring transformation to the water by throwing it in. He had to act in faith to throw the stick, trusting that God would do what he said he would do. And how many of us find ourselves in this very place? You're in a situation, you're in a season, and you're bitter, you're frustrated, you're angry, you're hurt, you're lost. But God's given you instruction. God's given you direction. He's given you a path through his word to press into him, to come to him, to come at his feet, to get into his word, to come and pray, to gather with the saints, to be encouraged, to be strengthened. All of these things that he draws us to himself to do because it is he that we seek, not his things. And when we look to Moses showing great obedience here, and my challenge is to us, look, we can choose to stay bitter or we can get better, right? You didn't know I was a poet and I didn't know it, but here we are. But we see the opportunity to come to seek the wisdom from the Lord and it starts at church with obedience. It starts with God giving us his word and calling us to himself in obedience. And then what begins to take place We'll finish 25 through 26. It says, There the Lord made them a statute and a rule. And there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer, Jehovah Rasha. Here we see the Lord looking to them and saying, I'm putting them to the test. Man, what is God up to? He's just bringing them out to this place. Why would he bring them out to test them? To me, I'm unsettled by this. God, what are you doing? Why do you need to test them? They've proven that they're following you. They're trying to do what you're telling them to do. Why do you need to put them to the test? God, are you wrong in this? God, are you evil in this? God, are you manipulating us in this way? God, what are you doing? Because I don't know about you, but there's been times where I feel like I'm being tested of the Lord and I want to question the character and integrity of God. And you may look at me and judge me, but I know you've been there with me. We're frustrated with God. God's not doing what I think he needs to be doing. God needs a reality check. Amen? Hey church, Pastor Vince here. I just wanted us to take a short break from this podcast to remind you about something. In this fast-paced world, it's really easy to feel isolated and disconnected. But being a part of a church community can truly make a difference in your life. 
When you're connected at church, you become a part of a loving family. It's a place where you can find genuine friendships, encouragement, and support that helps you during life's ups and downs. Together, we celebrate victories and we provide a shoulder to lean on when challenges arise. Being plugged into a church community fuels your spiritual growth. Through our worship gatherings, Bible studies, and other events during the week, you have the opportunity to learn, question, and explore the depths of God's Word with others. Our shared experiences and wisdom, they enhance our understanding of God's love and purpose for our lives. Staying connected at church also provides a network of accountability. Surrounding yourself with other believers who genuinely care about your well-being helps you stay on track with your faith and values. They'll be there to guide you, offer wise counsel, and keep you grounded in your relationship with God. But it's not just about receiving, it's about giving too. When you're connected, you have the opportunity to make a positive impact on others' lives through acts of service, volunteering, and sharing your unique gifts. Spreading love, compassion, and the hope of the gospel to our community and beyond. I would strongly encourage you to visit us at our website at churchatdenver.org and check out the What's Happening page to see how you can get connected this week. You can also use the Church Center app at any time. We keep our What's Happening page updated in real time so you can always stay connected. Remember, we are stronger together And together, we will make a lasting impact for the kingdom of God. We're so excited to have you a part of our church family. All right, let's get back to the podcast. That might be borderline blasphemous. (laughs) Don't email me tomorrow. It's okay. I love Jesus. But here we see what happened. He's putting that to the test. And, and, and I was praying about this and thinking about, God, why would you be doing this? I look back to the Lord's testing from before. Think about Abram. Abram was called to a land that he didn't know and called to go to a place where he didn't know. But then he went and he obeyed. And the Lord blessed him and Sarah at an unexpected time, blessing him with a son. But then in Genesis, it tells us that the Lord tested Abraham. In the testing of Abraham, the Lord tested him by saying, I want you to go up and I want want you to offer your son Isaac. I see that as a test. I'm like, God, why would you ask that of someone? Why would you ask us to give up such great things? Why would you ask us to give this one thing that you even gave in blessing and promise Why do I have to give it back? What's the testing for? What are you doing? But he's got a purpose. He's got a plan. And before we get into that and unpack that a little bit more, let's continue to look. But the Lord's commanding them that I want you to diligently, number one, listen to my voice, he says. And I want you to do what is right in his eyes, in the Lord's eyes. He says, I want you to give ear. I want you to listen to the commandments that I give. And I want you to keep all my statutes, says the Lord. I think about in my own life when the Lord wants to put me to the test. And I want to get frustrated. Why do I get frustrated? First, it's because I don't really want to listen to what you got to say. I want you to listen to me and what I've got to say about the situation. And I get frustrated. 
or I look to the situation and I'm frustrated at God for his testing because I want to do what is right in my eyes, not what's right in God's eyes because I think I know what's right. I don't want to listen to his commandments because I want to do my own thing and I'm frustrated. Or I think keeping all his statutes, why do I want to keep his statutes when mine are working just fine? We come to these moments and seasons where the Lord wants to test us But in the testing of us, God also does something special for the people of Israel. He gives promise. He says, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. What's he saying? When you think about the plagues that were put upon Egypt, the plagues were coming as judgment. The plagues were coming upon the people in judgment for their sin and for their rebellion against God. And what the Lord is saying is that if you will follow me, if you will come after me, I'm going to shield you for judgment. And I'm able to do this because I am your healer, Jehovah Rasha. It doesn't mean that we're not going to have pain in this life. It doesn't mean we're not going to experience brokenness. It doesn't mean that all there's not going to be hard in this life. But what it does mean is that Jehovah Rasha, the Lord, our healer, is the one that can bring healing to our life even in the midst of pain and brokenness. And how has he gloriously done this? I think about Isaiah 53. And speaking a prophetic word of Jesus to come, it says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are what, church? We are healed. Partly. Sometimes. When we deserve it. We're healed in full. When John writes in his letters that we are forgiven of all unrighteousness, it is through the powerful working of Jesus Christ. Here we see he's bringing them to this place of this water. He's turning the bitter water into sweetness for them to enjoy, for them to see. But they must be tested to see whether or not they're going to follow and love God. Are they going to love God? Are they going to love his things? Are we going to love God and what he provides for us? Are we going to love God for who he is and what he's done? Are we going to love God for sending Jesus or providing for our finances? Are we going to love God for sending Jesus or helping us make a name for ourselves in the corporate world? Are we going to love God for sending Jesus? Are we going to love God for blessing us with children and grandchildren? It doesn't have to be the bad things of this world that we put before God. And here we see that God, our great healer, has brought ultimate healing through Jesus who shielded us from the wrath of God by taking it upon himself so that we would not have to experience that when we put our faith and trust in Christ. We see this great healing coming through Jesus. But what we also see in this text when we think about Moses, and I think about Moses throwing this stick into the water, I can't help but think of this beautiful picture of Moses and the stick and the representation of the stick and the cross. Both coming from a tree. Moses being challenged to take up this log and throwing it into the water and taking what is bitter and making it sweet. And I think about our very own life and I think about Luke 9, 23 where Jesus says to us and he says, if anyone would come after me, that's what these people were doing 
They were coming after God. They were following God, following his plan. They were experiencing bitterness in life. It was hard. It was, they were struggling. They had no water. Though Even the water that they had was terrible and they couldn't even drink it. It couldn't provide nourishment for their soul. What are they going to do? And he says, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. The faith that it took Moses to pick up that stick and throw it in the water is the same faith for us to take up our cross and to follow Christ. We think about our own life and we think about what God's called us to in this life. It's this idea of denying ourselves. All of these things that are happening in this text where he's saying, listen to my voice, not your own. Where he's saying, I want you to do what is right in my eyes, not your own. I want you to do what I, hear what I've commanded, not to listen to your own self and to the ways of this world. Listen to me. Keep my statutes. Don't do what culture tells you to do. Don't do the things that they're telling you is right. You do what I say is right and we'll bring about transformation and the bitterness that you are experiencing I can turn it and make it sweet because I am your healer and Jesus is our great physician and our great healer and here we see in similar fashion as the people were coming to trust in the Lord Moses giving us a beautiful picture of by faith us taking up our cross because Jesus did all of the work he accomplished everything. And all we do is by faith is take up our cross. And by taking up that cross, by faith, we are saying that Jesus' life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection is what is our pathway to eternal life. I rest in him, not in my works. And here we see all this taking place. But what I love about this story is how it ends. God brought them to this place. God brought them to a place knowing that they would struggle to not have water. God brought them to this place to do a work in their heart and in their life. But the purpose of God was not to leave them in this place, church. In your life, you're going to walk through moments of bitterness and hurt and pain and struggle. And God's going to bring you through those. He's going to refine you through those. He's going to prune you through those. But God's desire is never to leave you there in punishment. God's got blessing on the other side. Look at what happens in verse 27. It says, Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. What a beautiful place of discovery that they find. Coming through a place, no shade, bitter water, can't drink it, nothing left, experiencing great testing, questioning God, is he gonna provide? God graciously turns the water from bitter to sweet and then says, now let's go. Now I wanna bring you into the place of plenty and the place of blessing. And here we see them come in to Elam. How beautiful of, on this journey where the people of Israel are being shown the goodness and the mercies and the grace of God. Think about going back to the testing of Abraham. Just as the people of Israel being tested in this moment, oh, are they truly going to follow the Lord? The same was true of Abraham. God never intended for Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. God's intent was to discover within the heart of Abraham, would he be willing to sacrifice for the Lord? 
And Abraham, a great man of faith that we know from Hebrews, believed that even if he did sacrifice Isaac, that God was so good on making of his promises that God would even resurrect his own son to accomplish the purpose and will that he had for him. What an incredible faith of Abraham. But why did God bring him through that testing? Because he wanted to ensure that Abraham was following God for God, not following him for the things that he can provide. Church, this is a big transition in our faith and in our life. So many of us find ourselves wandering into churches, asking God to fix our marriages, asking God to free us from addiction, asking God to heal us from our brokenness. But the reality is if we don't come in first asking for God and just himself first, none of those things will be able to be fixed and healed in our life. God must be the first answer of all of this. And what did God do for Abraham when he proved himself to be faithful to the Lord? He found a ram in a thicket. God gave him the sacrifice to protect his son. He stripped him down to ensure that the heart of Abraham was ready to do the will of God. I think about Naomi. I think about in her life and what happened to her. She experienced incredible loss. So much pain, so much brokenness in her life. But what happened? God put Ruth in her life. They come back. Ruth finds her kinsman redeemer in Boaz. And they have a son. And the people look at Naomi at the end of Ruth in chapter 4. And they say this to her. Blessed, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in all of Israel. This child will be a restorer of life and a nourisher to her in her old age. And that son's name was Obed. And he was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David, who is all within the line of Christ. Do you see where we're going? Do you see what God is doing and revealing in Exodus 15 in this moment of coming to bitter water, but God making it sweet? God's doing a work in the heart of the people and he's calling us and asking us to have a heart being changed within us. Think about what it says in Deuteronomy 8 where it says, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you, to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. When we come to these seasons of testing, when we come to these seasons where we tend to want to be bitter, we tend to want to question, want to become frustrated, and God, you're not doing it right. But he is. He's doing exactly what needs to be done because he's trying to change your heart. And he's bringing about humility so that you will follow him. Because in following him, you're chasing after the best thing. And really, the only thing. And he's working in the hearts of these people. And I think that as David says in Psalm 26, I pray this is where we all get to. Listen to what David says about being tested himself. He says, prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind, for your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. David is coming to a place now where he's saying that I understand that when God brings about a test, God's doing something good in my life. 
He's not taking away. He's refining. He's molding me. He's shaping me. He's transforming me. And it's good and I want more of it. Have we ever come to that season of our life? We walk through these bitter moments and this pain. And I'm not saying that you're supposed to laugh and smile and, oh, I, I, this is awesome. I'm so glad I'm hurting. No, but it's coming into the seat and saying, even though I'm hurting, I know God is doing something that is for my good. God is doing a work. And here, once again, as they sang in Exodus 15, we see it here again. For your steadfast love, your hesed love, your covenant love, the intentional love of God in pursuing you. He has made a covenant with you, a covenant that only he can keep and only he will be able to bring to completion. And it's a covenant that he says, I have done and I will see through. I am loving you even when you can't love yourself, even when you don't look like you're worth loving. I've committed to love you and I'm going to walk you through life in times of testing, in times of season. And David's saying, bring it on. David's saying, I want that. And my eyes are before you and I'm gonna walk in your faithfulness. Can we get to that place where we can trust God so much that even in the pain, even the brokenness, even in the hurt, that we can still see him to be good? Too many come into those moments of our life and we see an evil tyrant trying to rule the world. But yet what we don't see is as a loving father bringing us to the end of ourselves so that God can be the very thing that we rejoice in and that we love. Remember, church, we lack nothing when he's everything. I need to say that again. We lack nothing when he's everything. When you think about coming into Elam, what if God would have just brought them out of and they would have worshiped and he'd have just trotted them into the 12 12 springs and the 70 palm trees. You think they would have appreciated it as much just going straight there? I think we all know in our heart, there's no way. We're never gonna value and love and appreciate Elam if we don't go through Mara. In life, when you walk through seasons of great blessing, you'll never experience the joy of the Lord if you haven't experienced hurt and pain in this life. And you say, well, why, is that, why does that have to be? Well, I think about what James says. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete Lacking in nothing. How powerful is that? Lacking in nothing. I know that in my own life, I find that so many times God is not enough when I don't have enough. But when I finally realize that what I want is not what I need and that what I need is God, then I find in those moments that I've got everything. Church, we attach God's blessings too much with what we want from God and not so much wanting God himself. God is bringing these people out and remember what he's been telling them from the very beginning. I'm doing all these things so that you will know that I am the Lord. You will know that I am Yahweh. 
God is wanting them to know who he is. And when we go through seasons of pain and brokenness, God's wanting us to see and learn and know who he is. He's not chastising you. He's not punishing you. He's refining you. He's molding you and shaping you into something amazing. He's molding and shaping you into the image of Christ, drawing your dependence away from things and upon him. So when you come to these bitter moments, when you experience disappointment, hurt, and pain, I pray that you learn to trust in the God who loves you. I pray that we all learn to continue to keep the faith and continue to believe even when we can't see it, he's working and he's working good because he's working in our heart. He's working to bring transformation. He's humbling us and he's testing us, but he's testing us so that we can become perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If you are here today and you are wrestling with God due to lack, if you feel unfulfilled, if you don't feel satisfied, you feel like God is not doing a good job, you could be walking through a season of testing right now and you haven't been able to see it until this very moment. But I can promise you the bitterness that you're experiencing right now, God can make sweet. It's when we take up our cross and we follow him. That's when transformation begins. It's the surrendering of ourselves to the Lord to know that he is good. We will always have to walk through Mara to value and appreciate Elam. And I pray that as we do, we keep faith and hope because God is doing a work and it is to become perfect and complete because Jehovah Rasha, the Lord, our healer, has finished the work in Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for today. And God, we just thank you for the beauty of your word and God, how magnificent you are. God, I know that all of us in this room today and watching, God, we all come to those seasons where we come with expectations unmet. We're disappointed. We're sad. We're angry. God, sometimes at you, many times at circumstances in life and at other people who have disappointed us and hurt us, and God, we can choose to do one of two things. God, we can choose to grow in bitterness and anger. Or God, we can choose to press in to allow you to make us better and stronger. And God, I pray today that we see that by faith as Moses threw that log into the water to make it sweet, that God, we would choose to turn to the cross of Christ whose bitter life on the cross turn to the sweetness of eternal life through his obedience. God, may we faithfully follow you every day, even when it's hard. And God, I know that some here today are walking through incredibly hard seasons. God, will you comfort them with your presence? God, would you surround them with people who will love them and encourage them and speak truth into their life to be there for them? And God, when they come to the other side, when they experience the goodness the complete work, the perfection that you were doing and that you were working, that you would use them to help others walking through broken seasons. God, you are doing a work 
in the one on the other side and the one in the midst and in the one who hasn't even walked through it yet. But God, we thank you that in all of this, you have our good at heart. You are drawing us to yourself, molding and shaping our heart to lead us to be more like Christ. And that is the ultimate victory. We thank you, Lord, for your work. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that this message has inspired you to live into the way of Jesus. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please consider subscribing to our podcast and leaving us a review. Your feedback helps us to reach more listeners and share the message of the gospel with more people. You can click the link in the episode's description to visit us on our website at churchatdenver.org, where you'll find additional resources, event updates, and ways to get involved in our community. Thanks again for being a part of our church family. We love you all and we are praying for you. Have a great week.